So Grace Church, we are in the midst of a, of a difficult season. It's obvious, right? I mean, many of us are struggling with sense of insecurity, um, disappointment, anxieties, frustrations, bitterness, impatience, just with, with what's going on. I mean, after all, Abu Dhabi has been closed down, locked down for, for months now. Um, some who've been hoping to go home this summer are coming up against some obstacles, and that would just bring great disappointment. You've been looking forward to that. That's hard. Um, children are home, can't go out much. That creates its own set of challenges. Many have had their salaries cut, have had benefits reduced. Some have lost jobs. It's a difficult time. We're all suffering from Zoom fatigue, aren't we? I mean, we are grateful for the technology and that our home groups can, can connect together and meet together, but it's, it's not the same as being together face to face, and we long for that. And Friday mornings, I mean, we're thankful that we have the, the video technology, that we can do the services this way, but oh, don't we all long for the day when we're back together face to face, celebrating physically together? That will be a joy. And it's hard to have this continuing on and on. And as I've been thinking about this, it, it feels to me and maybe to you too, like the problems are just kind of piling up more and more and getting higher and higher. I mean, first there's the coronavirus with all of its problems, obviously. But now there's also the, the problem, great problems of the slowdown in the world economy. That's like piled on top of the coronavirus. And then piling on top of that, many of us are grieving and concerned about what's happening in our home countries. Either the spread of the virus, concern we have for loved ones, the slowdown of the economy, what that might mean for friends and family. And I've been grieving over the racial injustice that's been displayed recently in the US and the, the wickedness of the looting and the violence that's going on. And so many of us are just feel like there's this piling on, piling on of one problem after another. And we're in the midst of a hard time. And I think that what God wants to do this morning is to challenge us to take a promise that Jesus gives in the Gospel of John. Now we're going to focus on Luke chapter 7 this morning, but coming out of this, I think the Lord wants to challenge us as Grace Church to take this promise in chapter 6 of John, John 6, 45, and press in to trust this promise over the next days and weeks and months. Here's the promise, John 6, verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, when we are feeling anxious or fearful or disappointed or worried, those are heart hungers and thirsts. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And here Jesus promises, he promises that if we will come to him and believe in him, he will satisfy all our hearts, hungers, and thirsts. And the reason he can do that is because he is the bread of life. I mean, think about that. Going home this summer is not the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. 
having your children finally back in school or being able to go out of the house more, that's not the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Once again, being able to meet people Friday mornings face-to-face -face or in our home groups face-to-face, -face, as wonderful as that'll be, that's not the bread of life. We're praying for all those things to happen, but none of those are the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. And when we see that, and then take time to seek his face, we, we open up our Bibles, we cry out to Jesus to meet us, and we feast our souls on all that God promises to be to us in Jesus, he will pour his love into our hearts. Romans chapter 5, verse 4. He will give us joy unspeakable and full of glory. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. He will satisfy our hearts in himself. John 6, 35. Now, obviously, that's not going to solve all the world's problems, but it is a place to start. It's a first step. Because when our hearts are filled, when we are at peace, when we are strong in the Lord, when we are comforted, we'll be able to love our families. We'll be able to encourage our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, strengthen them, help them, love them, care for them. We'll be able to motivate to, to work to overcome racial injustice and poverty and heartbreaking needs like that. And most important, we'll be able to share the gospel with people who desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus. So it starts with coming to Jesus regularly, believing in Jesus regularly, and being satisfied in Jesus regularly. Now with that introduction, let's turn to Luke chapter 7. Because in this passage, Luke gives us three reasons why we should come to Jesus, believe in Jesus, and be satisfied in Jesus. Three reasons why we should come and believe and let Jesus do what he promises, satisfy us. Three reasons. So the first is this. I love this. Jesus loves to help the unworthy. Start in verse 1. After he, Jesus, had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. A centurion is a Roman soldier who has command over 100 soldiers. And this centurion had a highly valued servant who was dying on the point of death. So, since the centurion had heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to go to Jesus and ask Jesus, would you come and heal the centurion's servant? But now notice the reason the Jewish elders give for why Jesus should come and do this for the centurion. What reason do they give? Verse 4. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Notice that word, worthy. He is worthy to have you do this for him. See, the elders thought that Jesus is looking for worthy people to help. He's looking for moral and upright and good people 
to help. He wants to help them. Are they right? Are the Jewish elders right about that? Think about it this way. Do you need to be worthy of Jesus, moral, upright? Do you need to have earned something from Jesus before you can come to Jesus and receive from him? We'll see the answer here. Keep reading in verse 6. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends. Here's a second group of people that the centurion sends, friends, saying to him, so he gives them exactly what he wants them to say, verbatim, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I, the centurion, am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. Now notice, the Jewish elders told Jesus that the centurion was worthy. The centurion tells his friends, go and tell Jesus, I am not worthy. I am not worthy to have him under my roof. I'm not even worthy to be in his presence. Now, why did the centurion see himself as unworthy? It's obvious that the Jewish elders were wrong, but why did the centurion say that he was unworthy? I mean, hasn't he been a pretty good person? Didn't he financially support the building of the Jewish synagogue? He did. But see, the Holy Spirit has convicted him, just like the Holy Spirit convicted Peter. We saw this back in Luke chapter 5, where he says, Jesus, depart from me. I'm, I'm a sinful man. The Holy Spirit is convicting the centurion of his sin. We also see this in Luke 18, where Jesus tells a parable of a tax collector who's beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He won't even look up to heaven. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Holy Spirit is convicting the centurion. Sure, he's done some good things, but in his heart of hearts, he's never loved God. He's never trusted God. He's never sought and thirsted and longed for God. It was all for outward reasons, to look good or for whatever. So the centurion has been convicted by the Holy Spirit that he is a sinful man. And he's heard enough about Jesus to know who he is. And so he says, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. I'm not even worthy to come into your presence. Now, how does Jesus respond to that news that the centurion is not worthy? Does Jesus say, oh, I'm sorry about the misunderstanding. I'm just here to help worthy people. I'm so sorry. I'll go back to where I came from. Is that what Jesus says? Not at all. Keep reading. Beginning of verse 7. Remember, this is the message that the centurion gave his friends to tell Jesus. So it's like the centurion's talking. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, Jesus, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, I mean, get this. So here the, these friends are talking about the centurion, and Jesus says, whoa. And he turns to the crowd and he says, right there in verse 9, to the crowd, I tell you, not even in Israel, 
Not even in Israel have I found such faith like this centurion has. He's saying this to the crowd. He wants to make an object lesson out of this. Listen, everybody, everybody. Not even in Israel have we seen this kind of faith. So Jesus marveled at the centurion's faith. And part of his faith was admitting his unworthiness, confessing his sin. And instead of turning away from him, Jesus commends his faith to everyone, and Jesus heals his servant. We see that in verse 10. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So Jesus doesn't turn from unworthy people who were admitting their unworthiness. Jesus helps those who are unworthy and admitting their unworthiness, confessing their sin. Now, this is one reason why we should come to Jesus and believe in Jesus, knowing that he's therefore going to satisfy our heart hungers and thirsts. This is one reason because he loves to help the unworthy. This is good news for us. This is good news for every single one of us listening because deep down in our hearts, we know that we've sinned against God. We know that we're not worthy. We know that we're not good enough to come into his presence. But see, this is what Jesus is all about. This is why he came to die on the cross, to pay for the sins of those who will trust him and own up to their sinfulness. Jesus is all about grace and mercy, not about worthiness and earning. This is the best news in the world. I mean, think about it like this. Imagine that your car was making a strange noise. It would be bizarre for you to say, well, I can't take my car to the mechanic because there's something wrong with it. No, that's when you should take your car to the mechanic. The mechanic is all about broken cars. And Jesus is all about unworthy people. I mean, back in Luke 5, remember this? We saw that Jesus said he's like a doctor. It's not those who are healthy, he says, who need a physician, a doctor. It's those who are sick. So when you tell a doctor, I'm sick, he smiles and says, let me help you. And when you own up to Jesus, I am unworthy, Jesus, he smiles, says, let me help you. Jesus loves to help the unworthy. So I just want to speak directly to you right now who have felt like you are too unspiritual to turn to Jesus. Your faith is too weak to come to Jesus and believe in him. You've sinned too much or too terribly to come to Jesus and believe in him. Those of you who, for whatever reason, feel like I'm just not feeling spiritual enough right now, I'll maybe think about it tomorrow. No! Jesus loves to help the unworthy. You are unworthy, you qualify. It's only unworthy people that Jesus came to save because we are all unworthy, truth be known. So learn from the centurion. Come to Jesus and admit that you are unworthy. Confess your sin to him. Ask Jesus to forgive you for your sin, to forgive you for your unbelief, for your wandering heart, your worldly heart. Ask him to forgive you. And because of the cross, as you trust him, he will. And then ask him to change you. Seek his face in the word. You will experience him changing your heart, satisfying your heart, hungers and thirsts with himself because he is the bread of life. So that's the first reason we should come to Jesus 
and believe in him because Jesus has authority over everything. I'm sorry, because Jesus loves to help the unworthy. Here's the second reason. Because Jesus has authority over everything. Everything. Verses 7 through 10. Read them again. Therefore, this is, remember, the centurion's message that he gave his friends to tell Jesus, as if the centurion's talking. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, crowd, he's talking to the crowd, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Okay, so through his friends, the centurion tells Jesus, Jesus, just say the word and my servant will be healed. And then he explains why he says this. It's because he himself is under authority, which means all the soldiers and servants under him are under his authority. When he gives a command, they obey. He understands that. In the same way, he knows that Jesus is under God's authority, that God has authority over everything and that Jesus as God's Son equal to God the Father shares complete authority with the Father over everything so whatever Jesus commands happens whatever it is because Jesus has authority over everything so if Jesus commands the sickness to leave it will leave and that's what happens as we read in verse 10 when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So Jesus had commanded the sickness to leave, and it left, which shows that Jesus has absolute authority. And that's the second reason we should come to Jesus and believe in him and trust that he will fulfill his promise, because what Jesus promises, he does because he has absolute authority over everything. I mean, think about it. Jesus has absolute authority over the coronavirus, absolute authority over your health, over your loved one's health. He has absolute authority over the economy, over every job, over the entire world economy. He has absolute authority. He has authority over your travel plans, over any employer's restrictions, over when the government will open things up, over when the government will allow us to meet together Friday mornings. Jesus has absolute authority over that. And not only that, Jesus has absolute authority over your heart, over your heart. See, I don't know about you, but me, and I think you're probably like me in this, when I feel anxious about something or frustrated about something or discouraged about something, my heart can feel so frustrated, anxious, discouraged, disappointed that I don't think any, nothing's going to change this heart. Nothing can change my heart. I'm just feeling, unless my circumstances change, nothing's going to change this. But Jesus has authority over everything. And when Jesus promises, it happens. It happens. And he promises that even if your circumstances don't change, if you come to him and believe in him, he will so feed your soul with his love, his majesty, his power, 
power, his strength, his beauty, his reality. He will so feed your soul with his mercy, his grace, that your heart hungers and thirsts will be completely satisfied. <laughs> now, here's how I experienced this this past week. Um, to my shame, it's been coming a couple of weeks. I've kind of had a low-grade anxiety, insecurity, kind of a sense of unsettledness about when are we going to be able to start meeting again as a church Friday mornings and, and what will that look like? And just kind of having this unsettledness about it. This last week, the Lord convicted me. I need to come to him and believe in him. I need to not just settle for this low-grade anxiety and security. I need to trust this promise. Jesus shows mercy to the unworthy. I needed to confess my unbelief, my unworthiness to him. I'm not trusting his promises. That's why I'm feeling the way that I am. And so I came to him, confessed my unbelief, confessed my unworthiness. And then he directed me to Jeremiah 29, 11, which is a promise many of us know. It's a beautiful promise. Here's what God says. He says this to Israel, but this applies to all of us, especially verses 11 through 13. Verses 14 and following about being restored to the land, that's for Israel, but verses 11 through 13, for every believer, Old Testament, New Testament, here's what God says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. This is so encouraging. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So I asked Jesus to use this verse to help me. I asked him to strengthen my faith. Strengthen my faith, Jesus. Show me your reality, your power, your glory. And I started praying over this verse and preaching this verse to myself. And I thought about, this means that God has our future all planned out. All planned out. So think about this. God is not wondering what's going to happen in the future. He's not worried about what's going to happen in the future. He has planned what's going to happen in the future. And he says his plans are for our welfare, for our future, to give us hope. They are good plans. Now, that does not mean that they'll be easy plans, necessarily. It's not what he always promises. But they will be good. Oh, they will be good. He will build his church. He will strengthen, purify his bride. He will advance the gospel. He will have the gospel be preached to every nation, tongue, and tribe. He has this all planned out, and he will give us as a church all the grace and the wisdom and the help that we need to be part of his plan. Okay, so I was thinking about all these things. I was reading over this verse, praying over this verse, confessing my unbelief, asking him to strengthen my faith, help me to see more clearly that you have everything planned out and it is going to be good. It's going to be for welfare. And slowly, I felt my faith start to, to strengthen. My faith just started to rise slowly in my, in my heart. I started to see Jesus more clearly. Instead of a future all jumbled up, not sure what it is, with Jesus just kind of a little vague, no, it's Jesus is there ruling over the future with joy. His purposes are going forward. He has it all planned out. I started to see, not with my eyes, not physically, but in, it just sensed it in my heart. I, I, I saw him in my future. You know what that's like. And my insecurities started to leave. My fears vanished, really. My insecurities left, my disappointments, frustrations, my unsettledness left, and peace came, and joy 
came. I don't know what the future holds, but I know that my Lord knows he's planned it and it's going to be good. Now, I've had to revisit that verse since that day because the, the unsettledness comes back. This is how the fight of faith is. We, we just come back. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to come to you again. I'm going to believe in you again. Help me satisfy my heart hungers and thirsts. And every time I've come back to him and believed in him, he's helped me. He's met me. So understand, nothing can stop Jesus from fulfilling his promises. The promise of Jeremiah 29, 11, the promise of John 6, 35. He is the bread of life. When we come to him and believe in him, he promises. He will satisfy our heart hungers and our heart thirsts. And because he has absolute authority, nothing can stop him from fulfilling his promise. That's the second reason. The third reason to trust Jesus, the third reason to come to Jesus, the third reason to believe in Jesus and trust that he's going to give us all that our hearts need, our heart hungers and thirsts, the third reason is because Jesus has compassion on the needy. Oh, I love this. Love this paragraph. Verses 11 through 17. Start with verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So Jesus draws near to this town of Nain, and there's a funeral procession coming out of the city gate. There's a young man who's died. He's the only son of a, of a widow, his widowed mother. And so she would have been leading the funeral procession. They're coming out, they're mourning a great crowd, they're weeping, they're mourning. So just imagine the, the heart-aching situation of this woman. Imagine the grief that she would have been feeling. Not only had she lost her husband, which would have been devastating, but now she's lost her only son, double devastation. And in that culture, in that society, for her to have lost her son and her husband means she has no one to support her financially. So she is looking to a future of poverty. So feel the, the anguish, the sorrow, the hopelessness. Oh, now what happens? Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, Jesus sees this funeral procession coming out. He sees this widow just lost her only son. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Now notice, no one asked Jesus to do anything for her. This compassion came out of his heart. See, this is the heart of our Jesus. When he sees needs, our Jesus, our Savior, has compassion. This came from his heart. He has a heart of compassion towards the needy. He felt her sorrow. He felt her grief. He felt her heartache, her devastation. He sympathized with her. He felt with her. He had compassion for her. And he spoke to her. I mean, imagine that you were this woman, grieving, mourning. Imagine that you are her, and Jesus, Jesus comes up to you and says, do not weep. Mm. 
power of that. And then look at verse 14. Then he came up and touched the buyer, which where the body was laid, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Now remember, Jesus has absolute authority over everything. We saw that in the last paragraph. Whatever Jesus says happens. And so when he commands this dead young man to arise, this dead young man sits up because Jesus has absolute authority. He can command a dead body to live and it will live. And that's what happens here. This dead young man sits up and begins to speak. He was dead. Now he is alive. Jesus has absolute authority. And notice the last words of verse 15. Notice what Luke emphasizes. Jesus gives him back to his mother. I mean, it's an amazing display of Jesus' authority and power that he raises this dead man from the dead. Amazing. But Luke puts even more emphasis on Jesus' compassion. Yes, this shows Jesus' power and authority, but especially Luke here wants us to notice Jesus' compassion. The focus on this passage is not on how this dead man was raised to life. That happens, but the focus of this passage is on how the widow regained her son. He gives the son back to her out of his compassion. Now the crowds, of course, they're all focused on power, authority. You can see that in verse 16. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So the people are focused on a prophet from God is here. God has visited us. Of course, he's more than just a prophet, but we'll get to that in the next few chapters. But Luke's focus especially is on Jesus' compassion, which gives us a third reason to come to Jesus and to believe in him. It's because Jesus has compassion on the needy. Now, I want you to think about this because I would guess that some of us do not believe this, do not understand this, do not see this, and we need to see this. I want each of you listening to see this this morning, maybe like you've never seen it before. Start with this. Think about the problems that you are facing, the insecurities you're feeling, the disappointment, the discouragement, the hopelessness that's in your heart. Think about all that you're facing, difficult times. Now, what do you think is right now in Jesus' heart toward you? What is Jesus feeling toward you right now? Think about it. the real Jesus who right now is at the right hand of God the Father. Right now, what is he feeling toward you? What do you think? Really, honestly, do you think he's feeling anything? What do you think is in his heart toward you right now? Let me tell you, right now, Jesus is thinking about you. You right now. Now he's God, so he can think about you and the other people in your household and everybody else who's calling upon him. But right now, Jesus is thinking about you, you personally. He knows more about your problems than you do. And he knows exactly how you are feeling. And he cares. He sympathizes. 
He feels with you. That's what compassion means. He's saying, oh, yes, that is hard. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry for what you're going through. That is difficult. Oh, that unsettledness is hard. Oh, that job loss is difficult. Oh, the possibility of not going back home this summer, that's painful. Oh, the, the having COVID or the family member who has it or the fear of having it. Yes, I understand these things. Jesus is thinking about you right now and he is caring about you right now. He has compassion for you right now. And when we understand that Jesus right now, as you look at him, if you could see him, he's thinking about you, he's caring about you, he's hoping you'll come to him, he's feeling what you're feeling, he wants to help you, and doesn't that motivate you saying, that's who I wanna go to. I wanna come to him, I wanna believe in him. If that's what's in his heart towards me, if he's saying, oh, it's hard, yes, let me help you, if that's what's in his heart, doesn't that give you reason to go to him? That's the third reason to come to Jesus, to believe in him, to trust that because he's the bread of life, without even changing any of our circumstances, he will change our hearts and satisfy all our heart hungers and thirsts. Now, what does this mean for us, Grace Church? So like I said at the beginning, many of us are struggling right now, kind of a malaise, kind of discouragement, kind of a low grade or high grade, fear, anxiety, worry, hopelessness. We're all battling these things right now. And I think what God is calling us to do today, this next week, and maybe for the next few months, is to especially lay hold of this promise in John chapter 6, verse 35. John 6, 35, let's read it again. Jesus is speaking. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And I want to encourage you to take some time this afternoon, this evening, as soon as possible. Set everything else aside and come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Open up his word. I put a list of scriptures in the directions right below the screen there on the YouTube page. Some scriptures that I found helpful. Check those out. But ask him to meet you. Jesus, come and meet me now. Forgive me for my unbelief. Forgive me for not seeing you more clearly. Strengthen my faith. Forgive me for my sin. Come and satisfy my heart, hungers, and thirsts. And just pour out your soul before him. Lord, I'm concerned about this. I'm feeling this about that. I'm struggling with this. Pour out your soul before him. Ask him to meet you. And then pray over these scriptures. Preach the truths of these scriptures to yourself. Ask God to show you to him. Show him to you. Ask God to show him to you. And he will. And let me give you three reasons to motivate you to do this. It's because Jesus loves to help the unworthy. Are you feeling unworthy? Perfect. You qualify. Step right up. He loves to help the unworthy. Jesus has authority over everything. So what he promises will happen. And he has the authority to change your heart by his power. And he has compassion on the needy. He's thinking about you right now with compassion and care in his heart. And as you come to him and believe in him, he will satisfy all your heart hungers and thirsts. Not necessarily by changing your circumstances. Oh, he can do that. Very often he does that. Pray and ask him to do that. But what he will always do is what he promises here. 
whether he changes the circumstances or not, he will always satisfy your heart by giving you himself. He will satisfy your heart completely by giving you himself because he is the bread of life. Grace Church, Jesus is the bread of life. So come to him and believe in him. He will satisfy all your heart hungers and thirsts in himself. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would take these truths from your word and strengthen our hearts right now. Help us to see that, oh, we need to come to Jesus and believe in Jesus more. Help us to see what you promise Jesus, what you promise you will do for us when we do come to you and believe in you. I pray that we would all be coming to you this afternoon, tonight, this week, trusting you, calling upon you, confessing our unbelief, confessing our unworthiness, and we'd have the assurance that through the cross we're forgiven and welcomed by you and that you will help us and that you have authority over everything and that you have compassion on the needy. Stir these truths into our hearts and I pray that you would strengthen us and fill us and meet us in a powerful way. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the truth of your word, for the mercy that you have towards us, for the beauty of the cross and the resurrection and all that we have in Jesus. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.